this is for that one listener that this might have happened to. But if you suddenly start smelling sewage mold-like smells and you track everything and you don't have any mold in your house and you just know on top of your head that you don't have any mold in your house but because you're paranoid you still double track and the person that lives with you in the house can't smell shit, it's your sinuses. <laughs> Google it. This is the first time in my life I was like, no, this will definitely not appear on Google. So for two days I didn't even Google it. I was just smelling sewage-like smells and killing myself inside because how gross that fucking thing is. But no, it's just sinuses. <laughs> yeah, maybe by the time that this episode is released, it will all be fixed for me. Wow, hi. This is by all means necessary. It's a mini-sode. It's a short one, although I constantly keep on prolonging them. And I know I've done reincarnation case and picked up on the patterns already because I've done the Anne Frank one, but this truly is, ever since I've heard it, like months ago, the one that kind of convinced me maybe even more than the Anne Frank one. Obviously, they all have like the gaps in memory, etc. that kind of, you know, allow for the skeptic opinions. But this is truly the one where I was like, no, like, I, I believe in it more and more. And that's the case of Shanti Devi. So let's dive straight into the meat, because it's the Minnesota after all. So imagine your child is four years old, and why this case kind of convinces me more maybe than others is that it happened in 1930, and also because of the significant work that was done in order to confirm her statements. So when Shanti was four, she started telling her parents, again, kind of like with Anne Frank and Barbara Carlin, like, usually it starts popping up with your name. Like, once you start being conscious, you're like, that's not my name. Like, why do you insist on calling me Shanti? She said that's not her name, that the parents are not her parents, and that her real home was in Matura, where her husband lived. This is why this story fascinated me so much, because, as you know, I was pretty freaked out by Benjamin Button case, so when a four-year-old starts talking about her grown-ass husband, you're like, okay, this is slightly worrying. And the husband actually lived 145 kilometers from where they lived in Delhi. So then she started giving further details that the husband actually owned a cloth shop and they even had a son. So now it's kind of like even further than creepy. You kind of as a parent have to investigate. And she even called herself Chobin, which means Chob's wife. So at first the parents kind of tried to ignore it, brush it off, but then they can't really ignore it when she keeps repeating it every day and she doesn't want to be addressed by her own name and she wants to see her husband and son. So on occasions during the meals she would say, in my house in Matura I ate a different kind of sweets. <laughs> I love that that is such a like fuck you statement. It's like actually uh, in my previous life we used to live better than this so can you like keep up to my previous life standard? That would totally be me as a reincarnate. And she would even, like, reproach her mother and the way that she was dressing her and telling her the type of dresses she used to wear. And when she would speak about her husband, she mentioned three distinctive features about him. That he was fair, had a big wart on his left cheek, and that he wore reading glasses. And she would also mention, like, different locations and that the husband's shop was located in front of Dwarkadish Temple. This kind of continues and the parents are brushing it off, but by the time she was six... She has given every single detail of her death following her childbirth. So in her previous life, she was called Lugdi, and she has given the birth to the child, and about nine days after, she died, and she, like, managed to recall all of that. 
And as with all of the cases, they bring her to the physician. They bring her to the GP, and the GP is like, oh, you know, she just like she'll grow out of it. But the parents kind of knew that there was more to it, that she might have been connecting to her past life. But they just let it be. So, discouraged by this, she runs away from home at the age of six. And she tries to even, like, travel and reach Matura, who is, as we know, 145 kilometers away. Luckily, the parents get hold of her. And now they kind of start taking it seriously. And not just that, but because she didn't appear in school, the school got interested. And then she started telling teachers in school. Now it was more of a mission. It was more of like actually looking to locate her husband and son because she felt like such huge connection to them. So when she was interviewed by the teacher and the headmaster, she even used the words in Matura dialect. And she mentioned her merchant husband, Kedar Naf. So the headmaster goes on and locates this merchant and finds out that he has lost his wife, Lugdi Devi, nine years earlier. And this was ten days after she gave birth to the son. And I've read in some sources that this only happened when she was eight or nine because she wouldn't mention her husband's name. Because it's customary in India that wives shouldn't utter the name of their husbands, which is just so fucking weird. And obviously that gives some cause to the skeptics to be like, well, why, if you were so desperately looking for it, like, couldn't remember your husband's name? But it's not that she didn't remember, it's that she didn't want to, like, say it and state it specifically. So that was until one day in her high school in Delhi, his distant relation to her told her if she told him the husband's name, that he would take her to Matura. So she kind of just like leaned forward and whispered it in his ear. And the name was Pandit Kedarnath Chaube. That I realized I pronounced Chaube previously. It's one of those, but I think it's Chaube now. I think it sounds more like more Indian. I don't know. So this guy, uh, let's call him Bish because that's part of his name. <laughs> the other name, I would butcher it too much. So Bish wrote a letter to Pandit or Kedar and he detailed all the statements made by Shanti and he asked him to come and visit Delhi. And he was like, okay, I think he kind of was skeptical about it. So he said like, yeah, these are all correct statements, but you know what? Let's test this girl. So let's send one of my relatives whose name was also Pandit, but his last name was Kanjimal. And obviously he's a relative, doesn't look much like me. So let's arrange that he meets Chanti. So maybe, you know, like we see like if she's actually for real or if she's a scam. So the meeting was arranged and Shanti immediately recognized him as, as her husband's cousin. And Shanti's still looking at this like, yeah, I still want to go and visit. So Kanjimal, who was now impressed, went back to her husband and tried to persuade him to actually come to visit Delhi. So it was only when she was nine in 1935 that Kedar actually came with Lugdi's son Navneet Lal and his present wife. And I'm enunciating this detail for a particular reason because it will become prevalent as well. So again, to try and test Shanti, Kanjimal introduces Kedar, so her husband, as his elder brother. But Shanti just, like, blushed and she stood on the side. And someone asked her, like, why the hell are you blushing? And Shanti said, no, he's not my husband's brother, he's my husband himself. And then she addressed her mother. Didn't I tell you that he is fair and that he has a wart on the left side of the cheek near his ear? And just this whole... Uh, this whole fucking thing just always gave me chills when I read it because she's just Hermione Granger in every situation even as a fucking reincarnate do you understand like this must be such a high and prevalent personality trait for it to come out of like 
four, six, and a nine-year-old child. Like, it must be such a prevalent part of her personality. That's kind of, like, why I'm, among, like, other things, convinced in this fucking case, because I was like, she's consistently admiring Granger in this fucking room. Then she ushers the mother to, like, prepare the food for the guests. They're like, you're a nine-year-old Shanti, like, in India, like, probably the mother was like, yo, bitch, can you come in? <laughs> But again, I think she has done this to further her mind Granger the room because she told them, she told the mother to prepare stuffed potato paratas and pumpkin squash. And Kedar was kind of like stunned because those were his favorite dishes. And she was like, damn right, knew it. Hair flip, Kedar. I'm your fucking wife. I'm nine years old. I'm your fucking wife. And then in further discussions with Kedar, he kind of is like, okay, give me something that only Ludgi would know. And she says, like, there is a well in the courtyard of her house, and she used to take bath in it. But mostly what convinced Kedar was really how emotional she was with Amnit, who was the son. And she would, like, cry, get really emotional when hugging him. And she even asked her mother to bring, like, all of her toys to give to Amnit. And at this point, that child is kind of looking at her, like, as another child friend because she's nine bringing him toys he can't it's just such a bizarre concept because he definitely can't comprehend that that is actually like his mother's reincarnate at that point and Kedar was skeptical with this because obviously as you remember Lugdi died like nine days after her son was born so it's like how do you recognize that this is your son and Shanti explained that her son was part of her soul and only soul is able to easily recognize this so when I first read this on the soul, it kind of like clicked in my brain because as we know from the previous one, if you haven't listened to the Anne Frank one, go listen to it because I kind of actually pinpoint like different patterns on reincarnation and why do people believe in it. And there was this whole point that basically if you are religious just by nature, like, well, like not by nature, you know, it's not like innate, but if you grew up in a religious family or like somebody's been imposing religion, your whole life, you might more easily come as a reincarnate because you believe in it. You believe, like, you won't die or, like, your body will just move on and it's the soul part that will just move on to the next person. So I kind of looked further into it because, obviously, I was like, maybe this is because it's happening in Delhi, because it's happening in India, that people are more prone on believing in reincarnation. So this article says that in the West, those of us who believe in the soul think of it in a more straightforward way. So there's a body, it dies, there's a soul, and the soul lives forever. But for Hindus, the topic is more complex, and they believe the universe is multidimensional and that so is the soul. So at the moment of rebirth, Hindus believe that the child is going to take the first gulp of air and it's going to become a breathing being. This signals to your brain and causes this force called Vaishnava Shakti to act. And in most people, this kind of trigger is what cuts off the memories from the past life. And in fact, they say this is also what cuts off most of the memories from this life. So this is why you don't actually remember what happens to you in the first three, four years of your life, which I just find compelling myself as well. Because everybody, I don't know, like, when you think about what your first memory is, I actually can't remember mine. I just find it bizarre that we can't actually remember memories from 
like that much of an early age and it that it really becomes mixed it becomes like more of a belief or like people are like well yeah this is what you were doing this is when you for me especially because my mom told me like she was teaching me how to read and write when I was free she explains my handwriting <laughs> don't do it to your fucking kids unless you want them to become like I don't know doctors or have ridiculously messy handwriting for no fucking reason but it's more like now when I picture it I picture myself like in where my dad had the office in the house like the desk and everything I don't know is it because of like so much of repetition of like where she was teaching how she was teaching me rather than like me actually remembering and that being like one of my first memories because it's pretty early and I just find it so bizarre that we can't remember shit it's like three or four years of our life like we didn't exist for in our own heads and we just remember it for, like, baby albums and memories of other people and live through that. So during this time, the soul is still completing its hookup to the physical brain. And basically, it's kind of like a file that's not yet fully downloaded. But it's still present and, according to this article, preserved as an internal drive called the Karmashaya. So think of it as a storage space that's hard to access because it's kind of buried deep inside the body as a soul rather than like the actual physical brain. So again, that's why the memories only start popping up once you start remembering your actual life memories, which is why usually reincarnates, they only figure out and start speaking up that, you know, their name is not their name, their family is not their family, only when they're about four years old. So the creepiest part of this story is that Keller now kind of pulls Shanti privately into the room and to speak to her. And he asks her, like, okay, one final thing for me to, like, buy this story. And uh, <laughs> this, is why, this is so dubious and so, like, 1930s and so something that would not happen today. But he asks her to describe how she got pregnant. So she goes into detail. A nine-fucking-year-old with this creep that, I mean, I understand it's her husband. But like, what are you doing by yourself? Like, in the room, just believe it, bitch. She knows your favorite dishes. Shut the fuck up. Stop asking her how you made love. Remember the wife that he brought? Well, after dinner, like, Shanti pulled Heather by himself now, and she said, why did you marry her? Had we not decided that you will not remarry? And Heather was just silent. He's like, fuck me, she, she is. She's reminding me and drink the shit out of it. She's like... My fucking dead wife came back to haunt me. Every woman out there right now is like, yeah, this is what I would do. I'd come back, haunt the shit out of you as a fucking child. Yeah, you, you like, you'd be bare confused, but I'd come back. Be like, why'd you remarry? We agreed. We agreed. And then what? You, you thought I'm not coming back to haunt you for this decision, bitch. So Shanti was obviously upset because Kedar, well, returned to his family and his life and left her kind of behind. And she begged to be allowed to go to Matura with him, but her parents refused. However, because of the strong Hermione Granger energy in her, this case kind of made the news. And I wouldn't be surprised if Shanti wasn't, you know, like, bringing those connections, going to the headmaster, being like, listen, publish it, leak it, leak it as a fucking story, make it public attention, I need to go back to, like, my husband and son, I don't give a fuck. And they're like, okay, nine-year-old, yeah, we'll do whatever the fuck you say. So the case was actually brought to the attention of Mahatma Gandhi, who set up the commission to investigate, and that was the same year, 1935. And the commission actually traveled with Shanti Devi, so she's like, yeah, win, got it. 
And they traveled with her to Matura and arrived on 15th of November 1935. And there she immediately started recognizing several family members, including her grandfather, or well, the grandfather Luguti Devi. And immediately as she was going into the place, like going into the home, she would like make comments on how the place has changed since the first time. And those were all correct. She recognized some of the important landmarks as well, which she had mentioned earlier without having been there. So like remember, like the shop is gonna be in front of what whichever building it was. And as they were approaching the house, she noticed the elderly person in the crowd and she immediately bowed to him and told others that this was her father-in-law. And it was her father-in-law. Then when they reached the front of the house, she went in without like any hesitation, was able to like immediately spot her bedroom, recognize items of hers. And then they were trying to test her on the dialect. So they asked her where Jajro or lavatory was. And she told them where it was. Then they asked her, like, okay, what does katora mean? And she says, like, oh, it means parafa. It is, like, this type of fried pancake that we used to make. And both were apparently the words that were only prevalent in the chaubes of this particular region of Maturas. And no outsider would normally know of them. And Shanti then was, again, <laughs> mining ranging or Shanti deving, whatever you want to fucking call it. She's like, listen, can we go to the other house? I know we have this other house. And I imagine that she's doing all of this in front of his new wife. She's like, I don't know if you have been, uh, but we actually had this other house. And it's like, brilliant. We had it for several years. I don't know if, you know, you're at that level of a wife that he brought you there. I can totally imagine her fucking playing it. <laughs> to her tunes like world's smallest violin just like for Kedar's new wife she's there like yeah yeah bitch you married you told me you won't now I'm here again I came to fucking haunt you to your own house what you gonna do about it but before they've done that they ask her like oh you remember how you mentioned this well that like you took a bath scene and then she ran out and realized like the well isn't in the place that it's supposed to be but that Kedar instead put like some stone over it and then like once she removed the stone sure enough there was a well I think this is more of like the underground because when I imagine a well I imagine like that thing that you pull out the water with but like I think this is more of like a bath kind of situation that's like within the ground it's like dug in within the ground for her to take baths i suppose so because a stone covered it and then when they asked her like okay so look the as you mentioned buried buried some money so like where did she bury the money and she went to the second floor and showed them the spot where they found a, pl- a flower pot where look used to put the money but money wasn't there. And then Kedar later confessed. He's like, oh no, actually after she died, I took that money. And she was just like, bitch, making me look dumb. But also, you took my fucking money when I died. This is it. You value nothing. And although I feel kind of sorry for Shanti, I think like in most reincarnation cases that we speak of, this is why people actually find it okay to move on eventually. And like, leave it there as a memory even though they accept that they were reincarnated that person and that is because the person that they were married to or like their previous family moved on and changed and has grieved like enough time has passed and they realize like they don't belong there any longer plus they're also a child so they might as well like stay and actually grow up with the family that they were born into or rather reborn into really thinking about it and during this trip, she also went and like spoke to her parents, obviously recognizing them and speaking to them. 
But again, this was probably weird for them because obviously it's like elderly parents who can grieve from this woman for like over nine years and now like what she appears as a child and they're, you know, supposed to believe like that this is actually her daughter. Like I can totally see why there wouldn't be so much as a connection even though this child comes and tells them all of this and like, yeah, you're my parents and gets emotional. I can see that they wouldn't see it from that way or wouldn't feel like super emotionally connected to the kids. So they're like, okay, whatever you say, I guess. And this publication by the committee attracted worldwide attention. This is why like articles on Shantideva are actually available worldwide. And obviously the skeptics were attracted to it as well. So if you're skeptical, this one is particularly interesting because of something that I'm not sure I completely understand, but I'll try to explain it. So there was a political scenario at the time where India was fighting for its independence and Hindus and Muslims were in conflict as well. And 1946, in particular, was the year of Bombay religious riots between Hindus and Muslims. So between 1929 and 1938, so a period of nine years, there were no less than 10 communal riots. So when Mahatma Gandhi actually decided to use this story to kind of shift the attention and find a peaceful resolution to conflicts, people saw it as like a cover of somebody playing to their own agenda. So you could in that case say that this committee actually had a motive to certify that her reincarnation claim, claim was real because it would lead to peace between Hindus and Muslims. I can see how that would play because we can't imagine a leader like as much as they are there for peace and for justice or whatever. Like we can't really see a leader doing something that doesn't benefit them to a certain degree. And like it's kind of random, I guess, that somebody like Gandhi would get interested in this freaking story from a girl just because what he made it to his ears and then he benevolently from the goodness of his own heart decided to bring this girl to Matura to like investigate this further but then again maybe people do things just again to resolve this mystery and to find out if reincarnation is real maybe it is more to do with curiosity which one do you believe do you believe that it is more sort of like as a peaceful agenda more of a political resolution of political issues rather than just him doing it out of the goodness of his own heart I think your decision will be more based on, like, who do you think Gandhi was in comparison to, like, maybe Western political leaders. But for me, what works, like, in most cases, where the fuck would a four-year-old learn all of these details? Because, again, most skeptics would be like, well, she must have read about this person somewhere. I would understand if that person was famous. For example, with Barbara Kalen and Anne Frank, I could understand that maybe, you know, like, apparently the diary wasn't published in that story up until that point. But there you could kind of understand, like, okay, this is a famous person. Like, you might have overheard something, you know, been honed in onto something. Here, these weren't famous people. They were 145 miles away. It was just, like, a random couple with a son and a woman that died. So... For me, that's where I find it, like, a lot more convincing. And it's because, again, it's a reincarnate of a completely random human. And in 1961, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who, um, as I mentioned, did in previous case as well, did like a lot of reincarnation research. There's a website where there are literally case studies on all of these reincarnation cases. And he said that Shanti Devi made at least 24 statements of her memories which match the verified facts. 
And also remember the awkward moment where she freaking narrated him the sex that they had? Well, she also narrated everything that happened till her death, after childbirth that only her and Kedar would know, and that included the complicated surgical procedures that she underwent. She also mentioned, I think I forgot to know that on, because it's just like so many freaking details, that she was actually separated from her parents because the hospital wasn't where they lived at the time, but it was like in a different city. Well, something only a couple of people would know, and something that would definitely confirm that this was her. So the aftermath of this is obviously multiple publications, people challenging it, but Shanti didn't marry herself. Um, She told the story again at at the end of 1950s, and once more in 1986, when she was interviewed by by Ian Stevenson. And in this interview, she also related her near-death experience that I didn't research further, but as you know, like I find them pretty interesting, and that is when Luke D. Debbie died. And she has basically died confirming this story over and over again. And there's a book I have lived before, which is the official biography of Shanti Devi, that is written by a Swedish journalist, Sture Lonestrand, who she met and became good friends with when, when she was in India in the 1950s, and who also visited her 30 years later and was like interviewing her and collecting her story. So if you want to read that or... They're kind of like mini documentaries here and there on YouTube, or like some YouTubers covering it. But yeah, that is pretty much what there is in terms of articles on this story and like confirmed information. And now a bit of the background of her family from obviously the people that interviewed her and from her biography. So in 1902, Chaturbush, who resided in Mathura, was blessed with a daughter that he named Lugdi. I actually find Lugdi to be like a pretty, such a pretty beautiful name. I mean, kind of Indian, but like then again, Lugdi. It just like rolls off the tongue. And when Lugdi reached the age of 10, she was married to Kedar. So I guess this was less creepy for him, speaking to a nine-year-old child, when he already made love to a 10-year-old child. Like at this point, this is the part where I was like, okay, I don't know if I should retell this part of the story, or people should just live in denial like me. And Kedar was already married before. Kedar is a bit of a hoe. I, I totally condone her Hermione Granger the shit out of him. It's like, yeah, you won't marry. It's like, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> I'm married before, bitch. What do you think I am? I'm going to marry another fucking 10-year-old. And Kedar owned a cloth shop in Matura and also a brand shop in Hardware. Which <laughs> sounds like a rip of oak hardware. <laughs> and it's literally written like that. Lugdi was religious from her young age and went to and actually visited several pilgrimages at a very young age. And when she got pregnant, she got pregnant once before. And this child was a stillborn and this followed with a cesarean section. But for her second pregnancy, the husband actually took her to the other hospital in this place called Agra when their son was born, again through the cesarean. But nine days later, her condition deteriorated, like she had some complications. And because it was 1925, people didn't know how to treat it, so she died. And one year, ten months and seven days after Lugdi's death, on December 11, 1926, Babu Rang Bahadur Matur of Chiravala Mohula, this is the small town in Delhi, was blessed with a daughter that they named Shanti Devi. And she was just like a normal girl until the age of four when she started saying she has a husband and a child. (laughs) And there was the point of no return for you. So let's discuss particularly in this case what would motivate this particular story of reincarnation to 
come to life, to be reborn. Obviously, if you're a skeptical, you're gonna see, you know, the gaps in the story. You're gonna see, like, her remembering certain facts and maybe not the others. Or you're gonna see it as a political agenda. But if not, for me, what truly convinced me when it comes to this story is her consistent and persistent search for her family. Like, she would not sit in peace, live in peace for years until she convinced her parents, the teachers, and everybody that she's actually reincarnate and for somebody to actually track down her family. Or I think what I was driving at as well, in terms of the religious people that sometimes are more prone to be reincarnates, during her Lugdi life, she was actually devoted to God and she kept repeating and like praying to God day and night. And people would say that she remained more consciousness and this helped her remain calm and alert for the process when most people would lose this consciousness, would lose this thread of peace. And this meant that when she was reborn, her awareness would remain with the name of God rather than locking her into this new physical brain. So she didn't forget her previous identity, it was just locked for about four years and then it resurfaced. So you'll have to let me know what you think about this story. I think for me it is, again, the constant repetition that people just don't drop it. And yes, you can say that that is just for publicity reasons, the way with the Anne Frank story as well. She was telling people that she's Anne Frank until the day she died. And yes, some people will see that as somebody constantly seeking publicity because that would make for a good story. Whereas maybe people who are a bit less skeptical, like I am more and more with these stories, I'm like, this is because she truly was that person, believed that she was the reincarnate. And yes, you can also say like, well, this is more and more becoming a legend, isn't it? It's just like what she told other people, what these committees have witnessed, because again, it was happening in the 1930s, what other people have noted down, and then what other people would exaggerate, embellish it. Gandhi would, like, make it, like, sound all perfect in her autobiography, of course. It's gonna say, like, she had personal conversations with Kedar, with anybody that will listen, of course. She's gonna be like, oh, this is how we made love, and then people are gonna be like, no, this is correct. It's just, like, passed from one generation to the next, and each generation kind of adds something to it. For me, what skeptics never can answer is that initial thing. First of all, how the fuck did she remember this random person miles away when she was four? But also, why would then that part that she was speaking in private with her ex-husband, technically, and telling him like all of these stories about them making love, about the birth, about like those nine days after the birth... And those being correct, like, he would be the first one whose best interest would be like, this bitch is lying, like, let me live my life. But he never did, because she never lied. It's in his best interest. He has a new family, he has a new wife, like, clearly marries them when they were freaking 10. Why would he now be like, oh, no, 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 this child is actually right, she's correct. He would be the first one to debunk this to begin with, but he never did. And now let me leave this episode with a different quote, and this is the quote from Shanti Devi, and this, if anything, (laughs) is truly when I read this, I was like, I need to end the episode with this, because this is a bit how I live my life, and I'm worried about it, but then I would have it no other way. My earlier life was still with me and had never really come to an end. It was my real life, the other was like a dream. Hasta la vista, have a great weekend, and we'll start believing, start being less skeptical about things in life. Bye, fuckers.